And we jump into chapter 11. And chapter 11 starts like this. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. So it starts off, this man named Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are friends of Jesus, and we're going to encounter them and see what is happening in the story. For some of us, this might be a very familiar story to us if we've been to church or even if we've been to a funeral. I know I have shared this story many times at funerals and preached on it because it gives us meaning and hope and understanding of who Jesus is. It says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. I don't know if you caught that. Imagine someone called you and said, someone you love is very sick. Could be a grandmother, grandfather, parent, sibling. They're very sick. What would you do? I know if it was me, I would try and do everything I could to go see them as quickly as possible. What does the text say Jesus does? He stayed there two more days. He waited. Someone he loved, text says it clearly, is very sick. So what does he do? He doesn't get up and go right away. He waits two days. And then he goes and tells his followers, let's go to Judea. And so they're going to go. But he waited. He didn't drop everything as many of us would have. His followers are going to tell him, you know, maybe it's not such a good idea that we go, because remember last time we were there, people tried to kill you. But he's going to say, no, we need to go. Lazarus is sleeping, but we need to go. And then we're going to jump into verse 11. It says, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better which sounds like common wisdom. If he's sleeping, he's going to feel better. We tell this to our kids. We tell this to ourselves. Go take a nap. You'll feel a whole lot better. Sometimes it works. In this case, it's going to say that, well, actually, Jesus, I would imagine he kind of gives a little bit of a sigh at this moment, kind of like, ah, I'm not really talking about sleep. He's dead. He's dead. And then his followers are maybe wondering, what do we do? And Thomas says, well, actually, why don't we go also so that maybe we can die with him? Which seems like a really strange thing to say. So they traveled to go see Lazarus. In verse 11 uh, and 12, it says that. And then we jump back to verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus was already, had already been in the tomb for four days. There was this idea at the time of Jesus that people had that the first three days of someone's death, that the Spirit would still stay present with them, that the Spirit would maybe hover and be in the space. And so it would be an understanding that if it had been four days, the Spirit had, of the person is completely gone. He's really dead. There is nothing there. 
Traditional to their time, they would take about a month of the, as a family to mourn the loss of someone they loved. And so there's this mourning experience, this grieving experience that they're all having for Lazarus, where they would invite the community and they would come and they would mourn and grieve together. And it's into this moment Jesus walks in. Lazarus has been dead a while. And he's going to encounter his friends, Martha and Mary. And he's going to encounter everything they're feeling about this moment. If you've ever lost someone who you love, you know that your emotions are raw. And sometimes you will say things that you're not sure where they came from, but they just came out. Out of anger, out of frustration, out of love for the person you're missing. And it's the same with these sisters. As they are experiencing the grief of their moments, as they are mourning the loss of their brother, there are things that need to come out. So in verse 21, it says, as Jesus goes to meet them, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's a very normal response. Lord, if you had been here, you could have saved him. He didn't have to die. Why did you wait two days before you left to come? Why did you wait? And then she's going to follow that up, that very honest, raw expression and question that she has every right to ask. And she's going to say this, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. In her rawness, in her emotion, in her expression of grief, of wonder and anger, probably, why did you not show up? She asks a question that's very simple and clear and says, well, I know that God's going to do what you want. It's kind of like this this inspirational saying about what she believes about God. Well, I know God's going to do what you want. It's the kind of thing that we put on our Facebook statuses after something that we don't want to experience happens or before we don't want it to experience it happens. It's the kind of thing that we put on a bumper sticker, a very simple kind of belief that goes, this is God will do what God will do kind of a thing. It's kind of shallow, but it's honest. And so Mary, uh, Martha, in her grief, Wonders, why didn't you show up earlier? But follows it up, well, I guess you'll do. God will do whatever you ask. It's almost like a throwaway comment to some extent. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This was a belief that people at her time, Pharisees, Jewish individuals who were part of this uh, this sect called the Pharisees, understood that when people die, they are asleep. And there will come a day where they will rise again. And they had this belief, so she says, yes, I know he's going to be alive again in the last day, in the days to come. She has some kind of general understanding of her religious beliefs that says, this is how it makes sense. She will rise, he will rise again. This is what's going to happen. She's got this kind of bumper sticker, shallow belief, you know, God, you'll do what you're going to do. And she knows her scriptures enough to say, at the last day, he's going to rise again. And it's this very 
simple but real faith that she has that maybe doesn't really understand everything, but has a glimpse of it. And Jesus answers with his I am statement. He says, well, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? As she has said, kind of like, I know Jesus, God will do whatever you ask. As this, she said, well, I know the basics of my story that, you know, at the last day, everybody's going to rise. I know those things. And Jesus says, well, guess what? I am that resurrection. I am that life. Do you believe it? And she responds with a new depth of understanding and says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. As she has encountered Jesus, as she has left the home where everyone was grieving, and she goes up the road to meet him as he's coming in, in her grief, in her anger, in her frustration, in her sadness and sorrow, she's expressing the frustration of the moment that this didn't have to happen. He didn't have to die if you had only shown up. And Jesus' response is, well, guess what? I am the resurrection. I am the hope you're waiting for. He is the hope that the people have always waited for. And her depth of responding is, yes, you are. And the story continues that now he's going to be moving towards the house. And as he's moving towards the house, he meets the other sister, Mary, Mary, who we've encountered in other parts, and we're going to encounter again in John's Gospel just a little bit later. Mary, who washes Jesus' feet, who anoints him with perfume, and other Gospel says washes his feet with her tears. Mary, there's a deep connection of intimacy, of friendship, of following Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 34, he asks the question, where have you laid him? Where has he gone? And so she brings him to where he is. And in that period of time, as they're getting to there, it says that Jesus was weeping. Verse 39 says, Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Now, if you read different translations, it's a really good thing to read different translations of the Bible. You get different things that come out of it. If you read the King James Version, it says, but Lord, he stinketh. And that's fantastic. He stinks. He's rotting. He's dead. Why are you going to take away the stone? The purpose of the stone is to keep that smell in. You don't see the dead body. You're not supposed to be touching the dead body at this point. And so Jesus says, no, just move the stone away. And he continues, it says, Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. Jesus loved this man. He was a friend. In the news that he was sick, he waited two days to go visit. Why? Not because he had better things to do, but because there was a better reason for him to wait. He waited because he said, because of this, God's glory is going to be revealed. And so he goes to the dead man's home. And he raises him from the dead. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life. And even though they die, they live. Now the thing is, we don't celebrate Lazarus' resurrection on Easter because Lazarus would die again. We don't know how. Probably natural causes. Though we do know there's, if you keep reading John's Gospel, people wanted to kill him. But he didn't stay alive after Jesus raised him from the dead. He died eventually. What we celebrate on Easter is Jesus rising from the dead. Because he is the resurrection and the life. He didn't die again. The hope that he offers this moment of grief, of senselessness, of somebody dying and they don't understand why they're dying, he steps into that moment and he changes the narrative, saying the dead don't have to die. They can live in him. Because he is the resurrection and the life. And as he changes the narrative, as he changes what unfolds, he makes sense of the senselessness of it all. And Lazarus rises from the dead. Not because it was a magic show, not because it was a parlor trick, but because Jesus is who he said he was. The light of the world. The good shepherd. The hope for all of us. The way, the truth, the life. He is the resurrection. Jesus makes it clear in his actions what he's been saying all along. And his question that he asked Martha was when he said he was a resurrection in the life, is, do you believe it? And her response was yes. But he had to show it to make sure everyone was clear. As the story unfolds in John's Gospel, we, we have a variety of events that unfold in the next coming days, and one of those events is what we celebrate on Good Friday, the death of Jesus. He was tried, he was crucified, he died. As we sang in the songs, and for those of us who aren't as familiar, we remember and reflect that he was in that tomb dead. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. It's what we celebrate on Easter. That death, as we sang in the song, was arrested. But as death loses its sting, as Scripture says, that it no longer has the power it once had where it was an ultimate experience, but that there is hope beyond the grave. But there is also hope right now because he's not just the resurrection, he is the life. As Jesus rises from the dead, he encounters a Mary. And Mary is wondering where Jesus went. And he says, I'm right here. You don't know it. And she runs off to tell the other followers of Jesus that Jesus rose from the dead in John's gospel. And they're 
Some of them are confused. Some of them are amazed. Some of them say, like Thomas, unless I actually see him, I'm not going to believe it. John chapter 20, after Jesus has been raised from the dead. Verse 26. It says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So the amazingness of the situation, the doors are locked. Jesus enters the room somehow and says, Peace be with you. And what happens next is I imagine that he looks directly at Thomas, the one who said, Unless I see the wounds, unless I touch the hole, I won't believe he's actually who you say he is. He says, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. In that moment of doubt and the questioning of, Is this really what it's all been? Is this really happening? The experience of feeling, of seeing, of being in the room with Jesus makes it true to him. In this story earlier, as Jesus goes to see Lazarus, he asks Martha, do you believe me? And she says, yes, without seeing the evidence. Some of us can be like that. We can have that experience with Jesus and say, yeah, we we believe. We know this is true. Maybe we've gone to church our whole lives. Maybe we haven't. Maybe we've just had some kind of experience with God to say, I know this is true. For others of us, we need to be like Thomas. We need proof. And we just say, give me proof, God. Easter is proof in a way that maybe we haven't been expecting. The text continues, Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This room is full of people who have not seen the physical body of Jesus but believe. You have a story of how God has done something in your life that changed your trajectory forever. It might just be that one day you just realized out of nowhere, maybe you showed up at church, you've never been to church before, maybe you watched a YouTube video that you know just came out of nowhere, and you said, yes, this is true, that God somehow interacted with you in that moment. You have a story for a reason to believe. Maybe it's from a lifetime of experiences of senselessness, where you couldn't make sense of it until you had an encounter with God of some kind. Maybe it was through a friend who shared the hope of Easter. Maybe it was through a song. Maybe it was through a movie. All of us have some story that changed the path of our life in some way. And for those of us who have not yet gotten to that place where we believe in God and we're waiting for that evidence, much like Thomas, the evidence is actually in front of us in the stories that have been told by others, in the experiences of their lives of how God has changed things, has changed them, has made sense of what didn't make sense before. That is the power and hope of Easter. 
It can weave the story of your life that maybe you wonder, why did this happen? Why did my wife leave me? Or why did I fail school? Or why did I lose that job? Or why does nobody even just talk to me? It can take these pains and sorrows and experiences that we have that we don't know what to do with. And it weaves them together in the story of a God who says, I am the resurrection and the life, and defeats death through a cross. And while it doesn't resolve all of the issues we face from day to day, and and maybe we still wonder why these things have happened to us, it draws us into a story that there is a hope beyond our experience and our suffering. A hope found in Jesus, and only in Jesus. That as we try to fix our problems ourselves, we find that maybe we actually create more problems. It might give us some temporary relief, but not the relief that we need, because it is only in Jesus that the senselessness can make sense. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians speaking to this church, this church that was not believing in the resurrection, not believing that it made a difference, not believing that maybe it was even true. People who are wrestling and wondering, doubting like Thomas or, or me and you. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the death and resurrection of Jesus is not true, you're wasting your time, he says. That's my paraphrase. You should, people should feel sorry for you if this isn't true. People should look at you and pity you because you've wasted it. You're believing in something that doesn't matter. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ All will be made alive. If it's not true, you're wasting your time. But guess what? It is true. There are stories of eyewitnesses throughout Scripture, and Scripture can be trusted because the way in which historical documents worked in the first century world was that they needed to have eyewitnesses to report things. There needed to be an audience to vouch for their credibility. The fact that what we have in our New Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John has stood the test of 2,000 years of time indicates that there is some reliability that has existed much longer than we realize. When these documents were first written and passed around, they were passed around to communities where people would know people who knew Jesus and had every opportunity to say this isn't true. But they survived. Why? Because he did rise from the dead. Because it is true. Because it makes sense of the senselessness of life, even though it's hard to understand. We may be like Thomas and need to physically see something. But the truth is, it's all around us. 
It's in many of you here. The truth that Jesus is the death and life that we long for. In his death and life we long for. We find that he is the resurrection. And many of you know this. Your story is his story. And the hope of Easter is in you. The proof is all around us. Sometimes it's hard to believe. But it can make sense of the senselessness that we experience at times. But the question becomes, do you believe it? How will you respond? For Martha, she says, you are the Son of God, the Messiah we've waited for. She does that without knowing what will happen next. For Thomas, he needed to see proof and says, my Lord and my God, what proof do you need? Are you paying attention to it? Do you believe it? This is the hope of Easter. Let's pray. God, I thank you that there is a hope for all of us. A hope that does not disappoint because you have poured your love out for all of us in Jesus. That in Jesus' death and resurrection, we can know it to be true that you make sense of things that seem senseless. That you draw together our story and give hope and meaning to experiences that we find to be suffering and agony right now. And while we don't lose those experiences, you draw meaning to them in yourself and help us to endure. I pray that we know this to be true. Whether we've gone to church for what seems like forever and we've said we follow you, Jesus, we maybe need a reminder to ask that question, do we really believe it? Or maybe we're just trying to figure out what we believe. And maybe we feel like we need some proof. But we need to ask the question, do we believe it? God, I believe it because I know it's true. And I pray and I hope for all of us that we come to know this to be true. You are the resurrection and the life, Jesus. In you there is hope, there is meaning, there is purpose, there is beauty, there is good. And you invite us to live those lives. Live resurrection lives today and always. Not just a hope for eternity, but a life right now. I thank you for that gift. And I pray we embrace it daily. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do pray you know the Jesus who says, I am the resurrection and the life. I pray you know him to be the good shepherd he is. I pray you know him to be the way, the truth, the life he is, the light of the world that he offers you. And I pray you look for the evidence that maybe you need to reinforce that. And as you go, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you and happy Easter.